This week's episode of Mind Gap Podcast is brought to you by your neighbor who's building an interdimensional portal. Hey, fuckface, I see you peeking through your basic ass curtains. You've got some shitty binoculars and you're wondering what I'm up to. Well, here's the scoop. It's none of your goddamn business. But since you won't leave me alone, I'll give you the 411. I've figured out how to open a portal to another dimension, and I'm getting the fuck out of Dodge. I can't stand this quarantine any longer, and anywhere has to be better than here. I did a test run last night, and a doorway opened up. I heard some chanting, and it smelled like sulfur mixed with blood, which tells me that whoever's over there knows how to party. I'm opening up that bad boy right now, and I'm never coming back. So enjoy your suburban life stuck in quarantine with no bread and no haircut. If you can't take it anymore, head on over to my back door and enter the code MYGAP to get inside. I'll leave the portal generator on so you can hop on through and join me. Pretty sure this is going to be awesome. See you later, chops. Hey, dorks. Just a quick message reminding you to head over to twitch.tv slash mindgappodcast and give us a follow. We live stream when we record our new podcast episodes, and we're live streaming video game sessions on Saturday nights at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. We're playing super rad stuff like Among Us, Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes, Jackbox Games, and Tabletop Simulator. Come hang out and play along with us. That's twitch.tv slash mindgappodcast. Good day to you, friends. On this week's podcast, Justin and I are visited by an amazing MindGap all-star who was also the co-founder of Throughline Films. That's right, Chris Charles returns to talk to us about how COVID-19 is affecting the entertainment industry, how film productions and content creation is adapting, and how a script he's been working on for over 10 years was produced featuring Liam Neeson as the lead. Chris is a wonderful and intelligent human and we were incredibly grateful for him to spend some time with us. So get out your typewriter, pour your heart and soul into your script, and hand it over to the professionals to get some crucial feedback as we march straight into episode 246 of Mind Gap Podcast. Mind Gap Podcast. Charles, uh, co-founder of Throughline Films. Welcome aboard, sir. How are you? I'm great, thanks, guys. Thank you for having me. Always welcome back, Mind Gap All Star. No less. You've been on here at least twice. I've lost count at this point, but at least two times, which is pretty exciting. And uh, yeah, I, went, I went back through and found the. I think it was the first time was August twenty fourth, twenty seventeen, episode one hundred six. Wow, the movie industry with Chris Charles. That sounds about right. Wow, going back to the archives there. Deep cut. Research, baby. <laughs> Justin, how you doing, pal? I'm good, man. It's uh it was a day, but yeah? I'm very happy to do this. Tuesdays, <laughs> I know as as shitty as a Tuesday can get, I know that there's a light at the end of the the tunnel. So Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because uh, I can use I think Justin and I can usually tell how the other's doing because we usually talk on Gchat throughout the day. I haven't talked to you much the last two days. So no. I think you and I have both been having 
some some busy days to say the least yes so that would uh, uh, yeah it's that's accurate the random like hey when you do this in a video what do you do it's like see but that's what i love though because you're dabbling in the stuff that i do now and we're now we can have mm-hmm. like this this coffee talk about now design. we have something to actually talk about <laughs> previously we have nothing to talk about. we had nothing in common we had nothing to talk about but now now we do which is yeah. super duper exciting <laughs> So, um, so let's just get into it, man. Uh, Chris, uh, tell us a little bit about what you do at Throughline Films and all that sort of stuff. Uh, give the give the listeners a little bit of background on who you are and what you do. <sighs> anyway, guys, I guess the internet decided to conk out right in the middle of my uh, my little spiel there. You know, it's funny because I uh, I have wireless, but I just plug in hard. Hard. I plug in real hard to my router while I do this stuff. Because really what it is is when you get that connection, you feel it. All right. Okay, cool. He cut the music out on me there. I was like, I'm going to keep going, man, as long as you want. So unlike my real life. Anyway, so Chris, uh, tell us about who you are, uh, where you come from, and uh, tell us about Throughline Films. Well, I don't know where you guys lost me, but I'll just get right to it. Um, Directly at the top. (laughs) Line Films is basically a, a sales rep uh, firm, and what we do is we identify projects that we think are internationally viable. Uh, we get involved in all sorts of different stages in the process, typically towards the end after a film has been shot. Uh, oftentimes, we'll get involved and help with post-production, finishing up uh, editing and, and trying to make it as uh, you know commercial as possible. Uh, in some cases, that may mean making it more TV-friendly. Uh, making it uh, as as easy to follow as possible for international audiences. Sometimes we do a little rebranding with titles and key artwork and trailers. Uh, But really what we do is we try to find out what makes these independent films stand out in a very, very overcrowded marketplace uh, so that we can find a distribution company bespoke to the needs of the individual filmmakers. Uh, As I'm sure you guys know, there's just an unprecedented amount of content right now. And since everybody's got an iPhone and everybody thinks they have an Oscar winning screenplay, <laughs> you know, everybody's making movies. And, you know, it's 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 difficult. And and even at a professional level, you're just seeing a ton of content getting produced. Yeah. So what we try to do is is show what makes that content special and and find a home for these filmmakers where we think they're going to have the most meaningful release and return because the best way to make that next movie is to make your investors their money back. Uh, so that's essentially what we do. We, we craft pitches. We go out to distributors and international sales agents, sometimes direct to buyers, and uh, we pitch the film, negotiate the deal, help with delivery, and in some cases even with uh, the marketing. Nice. That's awesome, man. That's like uh, so I've interesting. At the, I've always marveled at, at your business model because it is it feels it's so necessary, but I feel like no one focuses on this side of the business. And it's it's such a for me, it is such like just a deep cavern of bewilderment. And I love the fact that you guys have traversed this and figured out how to help people get through it. It's it's a very in the industry. I think it's a very necessary service. So, I tip my hat to you. Thank you. Thank and, you, sir. Yeah, yeah I, I just go ahead, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Doug. No, I refuse. You go first. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it's um 
it's tough because a lot of people, you know, a lot of our clients, it's their first movie, maybe their second movie. And, you know, they don't, they go to film school and oftentimes their professors aren't even really sure what to do. And there's this notion that they're going to go screen at a film festival and then somebody's going to hand them a big check and you're going to hand them a hard drive and you're done. And the fact of the matter is by the time you finish the movie, you're just beginning a whole new, very long journey uh, to get the film to market. Uh, and then, of course, the years that follow with recouping and, you know, an eventual re-release, which we just did with a couple of titles and, and all that fun stuff. That's so awesome. Uh, by the way, Etoy07 says it looks like uh, Chris is just standing uncomfortably close to Justin, not social distancing because the way I had it set up is you guys are side by side. So, you know, kudos. Um, <laughs> now, you both just turn and like pretend to kiss. <laughs> I got to figure out which side is it's this side. I there you go. Now that's good. Is that it? No. Nope. Yeah. All right. Other way, Chris. Other way. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Good morning, Jervis. All the way from Australia. Uh, good to see you, pal. Welcome aboard. Um, yeah, I, it's I, I, I'm going to blow. I'm going to I'm going to compliment you, Chris. So prepare. Here it comes. We've known each other for a while. We go way back to the hotel days. That's the compliment. So we know each other for a long time. You, Hard you've stop. You've known me for a long time. That's the compliment. <laughs> a compliment is like, I've known you for a while. You're welcome. Um, Thank <laughs> But way back then, you were killing it in uh, film school. You went and produced Chicago Overcoat, uh, an indie film uh, starring Frank Vincent, the late Frank Vincent. And you guys have, I've always been impressed at how hard you've worked in this industry and just everything you've put forward, your effort, you and John. Uh, working your asses off, and I'm just—I was just thrilled that you guys have continued to help other independent films and artists and things like that help their stuff come to fruition. And because, because you touched on something, which is everyone thinks that they have an award-winning script, right? No one comes to you and be like, "I don't know, maybe they do, maybe I'm wrong, uh, prove me wrong, I guess, from stories." But I doubt anyone comes to be like, "Hey, look, I got this crocky shit right here, okay? I'm hawking it." All right, it's dog shit, but it's going to be worth a lot of money, all right? Help me. Okay, help me to help me do this. I doubt that happens very often. Does it has it happened? Let me start there. Yeah, every now and then it's, <laughs> it's surprising it's surprisingly refreshing. We had a guy the other day who said, "Yeah, you know, we probably should have spent like 4 or 500,000 and ended up spending closer to 2 million. So this is basically a salvage job." <laughs> And I was like, oh, well, the guy's being honest. I That's... mean, most filmmakers, you're right. They, you know, their stories are very personal to them. So they have an emotional connection to the material. And we try to, we get involved later on in the process after all the blood, sweat, and tears. And we look at it objectively. And sometimes people don't want to hear, oh, you got to cut, you know, 20 minutes out of the movie. And you got to change the title. And you got to do this and that and the other because it's their vision and it's almost like an extension of themselves. Uh, so it, it's difficult. It's a tricky business. Yeah. The entertainment industry attracts a lot of narcissistic people. So you have to deal with a lot of big personalities and egos. Uh, but then when you, when you do work with people who are doing it because they want to tell good stories and they want to collaborate, it's, it's really refreshing. And those are the people you really cling to as, as I'm sure you guys know, and, and just want to work with over and over again. Yeah. 
I th- we were. I was just watching. I don't know if you, either of you are, have ever seen the song, the um, show Songland. No, but it, it's so it's um, comes on. It's it's another just singing competition show, but it takes an artist and has four songwriters uh, present their songs, and it and they work with producers on the show. And at the end, the song, the the famous artist will pick one, and they'll actually record it, and that's their next single. Wow. Um, and it's it's a really cool new look at. It's not just a singing competition. It's that. But to your point, Chris, one of the things that I noticed last night when I was watching it is they present the song. And the first thing is all three producers immediately go into, okay, here's how we'd change it. And here's how we'd tweak this and that. And maybe you need to take that. And you can see this look of like conflict on their face because this is something that's so personal to them. And right before America's eyes, it's just getting taken apart bit by bit. But at the end of the day, it's a it's a much better piece of art when they're done with it. So it's I, I it's funny you say that because I just watched it happen on TV last night to four brand new people. That's yeah. really cool to see that happen because it's funny. And I don't know if, if you guys or anyone has really had this issue before, but I uh, I've I've like written stuff. <laughs> Stories, songs. <laughs> Massive air and, quotes. Eh, you know, um and I've often been like, I can't, I can't, I don't know the right way to phrase this because it's going to sound really ridiculous either way, but I'll just be like, I can't make this yet because I'm afraid that it's going to fail. I'm afraid to put my best stuff out there because if it doesn't go well, I feel like I will have lost that story or lost that song because, Mm -hmm. um, it's, I'm thinking. I'm putting myself in mind when Chris, you said people. This is like their baby, and there's there's this story. I'm like, sometimes I'm like, I don't know if I could even put my my story out there because what if it fails? Or this is my first time doing this. I don't want to waste that creative outlet on a failure. Have you run into anything like that, or do you guys, anyone else, feel that same way about that stuff? Absolutely, but you know, I think I think the key is that you really have to just force yourself to do it because. The only way to truly learn and grow is through failure, right? And yeah. and I've had I've had scripts, as you know, Doug, that I told you about when we were working together. I've been working on ten years, fifteen years that that are finally now starting to get traction. And you know, I wasn't ready to tell those stories at that time. Uh, so I'm actually grateful in some ways that it took so long for some of these <laughs> projects to start to come to fruition. Uh, but it it did take a lot of failure uh, on the road to get to where I am today. And, and frankly, guys, I'm, I'm constantly learning and failing now. I mean, we all are right. Yeah. Uh, and the minute you stop acknowledging that you're in trouble. No, I totally agree with you. I remember I watched some, I think it was a documentary with Dr. Dre and another guy, another big time producer. I think he was from maybe from Geffen records. And there's a specific moment in that documentary where he was working with no doubt. And they wrote like, 12 songs and they gave it to him. He's like, that's great. Write 20 more and come back to me. And I was like, I heard that. I was like, I could never do that. But the point was you got to keep going. You can't just be like this. These are the 12. He's like, no, I want you to write 20 more songs, get more, get more out of it, get more out of it. Because otherwise this doesn't mean anything. You've got to keep trying. You've got to keep failing. You got to be able to basically write and write and write. And I was that, that cut me so deep to be like, if someone's like, that's cool. I know you put a lot of work in these 12, write me 20 more. Like, ah, my feelings, <laughs> my creativity. No. 
Oh yeah, just just imagine the the poor director who labored over a film for five or ten years and <laughs> gets it out there, and then they go on IMDb and some asshole encourages them to commit suicide or something. Like, there's just people are terrible, you know. And <laughs> once, you, once you put your heart out there, I've seen some awful reviews. Um, you know, what's one of the worst ones you've seen? What's one of the worst ones you've seen? I mean, the one I was just referring to it. I won't. I won't name any names, of course, or the film, but I want to say it's like a two on IMDb out of ten, oh. and it's pretty vicious. It's like people are like, "Man, this guy should never do anything again. He should kill himself." Like, oh. you know, I just it's awful, awful. It, it it never ceases to amaze me. This is this is entertainment. At the end of the day, it's entertainment, and someone is suggesting that this person take their own life because they made something so objectively bad <laughs> that it has ruined this individual's life? Question mark. Essentially. <laughs> yeah. I just don't get the, the vitriol that gets spit out there. It does not make sense to me. I mean, I'd be lying if I was, I don't think I've ever told anyone to kill themselves, but I've been highly <laughs> critical of some entertainment. <laughs> You know, growing up, and now that I've even had even just an inkling of how much goes into that stuff. I mean, uh, Justin and I, I should say this is really my fault. I put out, I, I wrote a bad tweet <laughs> a few months ago. All right. And it was the first time ever that anyone gave a shit about my Gap podcast on Twitter. I wrote a tweet. It was a really cool video from a company called Corridor Digital. I'll never forget their name. It was essentially they made they they took some scenes from Captain America Civil War and they made them R-rated using special effects and it oh, was yeah. amazing. I loved it. Yeah. And I I read about this on collider.com. So when I tweeted to share it, I said from the cool guys over at Collider, here's this video and Corridor responded. They replied and said, "Collider?" question mark and I was like, "Oh shit." I was like I put a gif of uh, someone just like sinking in their chair. I'm like, I fucked this up. And I was like in the middle of work. I was meeting with like directors and stuff. And my phone is buzzing nonstop. Like people were liking it, laughing and whatever, and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, holy shit. And I remember turning to Justin. I go, this is insane. How could famous people even remotely post? And then they must just throw their phone away after they post because it would just be rattling off the table. With all that or they sort just of turn stuff. the notifications the fuck off. Right? And then, you know, you know we, we were... That was, that was day one. And I literally day told one, Justin, I go... Like, oh, it's like ribbon, like good, you know, good natured. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, and then... then day two came around. And... It, it changed dramatically. Where all of a sudden yeah. people were like, well, if you got it wrong, then fix your fucking tweet. And I was like, people were like, Justin replied, hey, you know, we want to we wanna fix this. He used the hashtag credit where credit is due. And people were like, you're not using that hashtag right. That's not what that hashtag's for. It just flipped. And Justin's like, dude, what do you want to do? Do you want to just delete the tweet? I'm like, get rid of it. Get it out of here. I don't want it anymore. Fail. Fail. And this is just like this, the smallest inkling of anything. I was like, I don't. I don't want to have anything to do with this. The only upside is that we have a guy that occasionally listens to the show because we fucked that up. So he hops in from time to time and says hi. And he actually did our intro graphics for when we post our episodes on, on YouTube. So I take it as a win. But, yeah. I mean, <laughs> just the insanity that came from the wrong 
the wrong thing, you know, and we just, we tried, oh, man. So I can't imagine actually putting myself out there to be vulnerable with something creative to then have someone be like, kill yourself. Like, ah, I, I mean, that's insane. That's absolutely insane. And I've said some stupid shit. And uh, I, I've, That's I've tons, and I've been really passionate about stuff. At the end of the day, but I've definitely come to appreciate the process. I mean, just thinking about what goes into making a movie. I mean, the hours spent. You know, just writing, producing. Just, I mean, thousands uh, of people's <laughs> hours. Right. Like it's not just you know the one or two people. Like thousands of people pour hours and months of their lives into this one thing and years into their uh, and then someone just comes out and just shits on it yeah and they're like kill yourself <laughs> yeah and, and and that's the challenge guys is that by the time so the there are some people who have something that's personal to them and they they tell a story and it connects it resonates with an audience and it becomes commercially successful mm-hmm. you know that does happen but that's you know not often the case and what you end up having is a lot of filmmakers telling stories that are personal to them that they then assume is going to translate to the marketplace. Well, that's not how it works. So the most successful filmmakers we find, they back their way into the process and they think, okay, what's selling right now? What genres? Okay, let me put it in that bucket. Hmm. Uh, what kind of cast do I need? Okay, now I can figure out my budget. And they start thinking about where the movie is going to end up and they back their way into a responsible genre budget and story and those people do well and again i'm not saying that the people with passion projects don't have success but those stories are few and far between and for whatever reason people in this business like to look at those exceptions to the rule and think that they can recreate capturing that lightning in a bottle i can't tell you how many business plans john and i see that you know reference blair witch and napoleon dynamite and all these movies. And the thing is, if studios knew how to recreate that magic, they would be mass producing it. But yeah. they don't. And I think you, they just kind of uh, they, they hit out of nowhere. Like you can't predict. Yeah. And part of it's oh, luck, man. right? It's just luck. I mean, the luck that Blair Witch was the perfect time, the perfect. No one had really seen a lot of found footage before. Napoleon Dynamite was just a weird, just. Uh, movie it's a weird movie and it's just dude where's my car came out at just the right time it did right battlefield earth came out at the exact perfect time for all of us to enjoy but then again it's also like you take those movies you adjust them a year or two right and maybe it doesn't work i mean how many movies have come out and it's like ooh, this is just a little bit behind or something that's way ahead of its time like last action hero right just critically you know, derided. A lot of people didn't like it, but if you go back and watch that movie today, you're like, "This movie's fucking awesome." It's it's a critique of action movies of the time. It's actually yeah. really really intelligent, but you couldn't see past the fact that it's like, oh, here's another Schwarzenegger movie. It's like actually, no, it's a lot smarter than <laughs> than you would really understand in that regard. And I think that's interesting because I'm always I always try to look at this, you know, the idea of creative side and the business side, right? They have to coexist. If you go too far to one side. You have a problem because something that's too much on the business side, you're like, this doesn't feel authentic at all. This is someone trying to cash in. You go too far to the artist side and it's not really 
uh, what's the word? App- not applicable, but um, accessible, right? So people can't, they're like, what the hell am I watching? Like, what is this? So you got to find that perfect balance. And when you said people can back in their stories into that, I'm like, that makes sense. Practical Doug agrees with that because you can still tell your story, but just frame it within a genre, frame it within like the cast and be like, I can still do this and make it, you can still tell your story. It just may not be the exactly the way that you envisioned it. So and, I think that's, that's, that's you, amazing. And, and what do you have access to as well? I'll give you guys a great example. Uh, John and I just worked with some really talented filmmakers. It's basically an all-female team, which is awesome. We totally support more female uh, filmmaking. Obviously, they don't have nearly enough representation in a very male-dominated industry. And, and these ladies said, okay, we don't have a lot of money. And if we take if we shop this around, they're going to want to like cast it with bigger actors and they wanted to have these roles of director and star and producer themselves. So they said, OK, what do we have access to? OK, we got a buddy we could call the National Guard. I got a farmhouse over here. I got this you know, guy that's got a plane. And they wrote a story based on a genre that they knew would sell and how they could cash in a million favors and put it all on the screen. Now, here's the even crazier part. This movie, crazy enough is about a global pandemic. And <laughs> the, the, the team started shooting it several years ago, but like, you know, is often the case with independent films, had some, uh, you know, setbacks, had to raise more money, had to do reshoots, this, that, and the other. So it finally got finished at the very beginning of this year, which is about when John and I signed on to rep it. Ooh. Unbeknownst to us at the time, we were about to be living the plot of this movie. So I shoot you not, guys, this movie is about... It starts off in L.A., okay, and it's about this uh, TV actress, and, uh, you know, there's a global pandemic happening, and the, the characters race to LAX to get out of there, and the whole airport's shut down, and there's, like, jets flying overhead, and the city's on lockdown, so they, they manage to get out to, uh, you know, a little private airport, and the, the boyfriend of the protagonist tricks her and gets her on a flight to uh, her home in or his family's home in South Dakota, where they're going to ride out the apocalypse. And he goes off to do some stuff with the CDC. The rest of the movie deals with some past demons that are encroaching on our our hero, uh, as well as the virus itself. Uh, but as you can imagine, when we started pitching this, and the plot of the movie was literally unfolding around us, we got a ton of interest. Wow. And this little indie movie, without any actors you guys would have heard of, we were getting screener requests from mini majors and studios and big companies that never would have requested the screener. Um, pleased to say we just closed a deal with the distributor. It'll be announced soon. They're going to fast track. It's going to be coming out probably in uh, in July. Uh, so I'll let you guys know. But oh, my it's, gosh. It's one of those really oh, bizarre stories of art imitating life. That's amazing. Yes, absolutely. That's real quick. Uh, Sirloin eighty four says maybe there's a parallel universe uh, where the, the Adventures of Pluto Nash was a box office smash. That's that'd be a fun. I don't know if I want to live in that universe. And E twenty oh seven says sounds like they predicted the future. So, which actually leads me to believe: Do you think anyone will see that? And because you know how this works, right? People don't realize how long it takes to make this. They're going to be like, "Oh, they're cashing in on this on this situation. It's it's uh, it's tone deaf." Like, are we you just cons- talked about this last week? Yeah, where like we we were saying like obviously you're going to see art about this, and so like who's going to be the brave person that takes the first swing 
to to try to tell this story and will it be well received or not so that's yeah what like do you think do you think people will will take that well or like how do you what do you think you know it's funny you mentioned that guys because it's already happening you know, <laughs> the movie premiered at cinequest and and it actually had two screenings it screened once and then the second screening they canceled because of COVID 19. oh my gosh and the trailer got posted on some of the youtube channels and in the comments some people were like oh typical hollywood cashing in on a tragedy and then somebody else got on there that was probably involved with the production and was like, that's not true. These filmmakers came up with this idea years ago. It took a long time. And it was this funny little comment war. Um, but you're right. You know, people, they're going to think, oh, they just, you know, shot a movie in a couple of months, which is absurd considering all the restrictions. Um, you know. That's a good point. But people point. don't think through that stuff, right? Yeah. It's like no. that, that movie uh, Gangster Squad, right? Where there was a shooter shootout in the movie theater, and then that happened, you know, in real life, and people were like, right. "We've got to change the movie." It's like, do you? I mean, right. that was filmed months ago, you know. Or uh, don't, you know, don't let facts get in the way of a good argument. Yeah, right. Uh, E207 asks, "Can uh, can they have the name of that movie, or is it under wraps? Like, is it something that you could announce now, or is it something that's kind of like hush hush?" Absolutely, yeah. In in fact, you can go check out the trailer. It's called Before the Fire. And uh, it's a really riveting trailer. Highly recommend the film. It's made with a lot of love and integrity. Um, and, and crazy enough, the director, she uh, she's basically living the plot of her movie because the whole way this came about when they came up with the storyline was, okay, we live in LA. What would we do if there was a pandemic? And they're like, okay, first we try to, you know, get out. And if LAX is closed, we're going to go to Arizona and get this, uh, you know, small plane and, taken to South Dakota. She literally just did all that and is currently writing out uh, the, the quarantine in South Dakota it's in this amazing. small rural community. Wow. Uh, you know, so, and, and the great thing is, of course, we're all working remotely. So, you know, business as usual uh, with entertainment, with the exception, of course, of uh, the Global Halt on Productions, which, you know, obviously is going to have a big impact. Uh, yeah. yeah. Let's That's something that, that, again, Doug and I had been talking about. Like, we're curious about that because the other day I was thinking, I was like, oh, I always get sad at the end of, like, when the beginning of summer, because I'm like, oh, all the, you know, TV shows are wrapping up. You see some series finales. But then fall, I'm always like, ooh, what are they going to come out with? And this year, I'm like, it's probably going to be slim pickings. Is that, do you think that's accurate? Or do you think they got a bunch of stuff in the hopper? They're just going to start rolling out? So for the networks, that is absolutely the case. I mean, many of these shows couldn't even shoot their last couple episodes uh, because of the halt on production. The interesting thing is the big streamers like Netflix and Amazon and Hulu, you know, especially Netflix, you know, their model is to release everything at once. Mm -hmm. So they mm -hmm. actually have about another two months of uh, content. As you guys, I'm sure know, Ozark came out somewhat recently. There's a bunch of shows that keep coming out because they were already in the can, already either in post-production or in some cases even completed. So Ted Sarando said, you know, Netflix is going to be fine for probably about two more months, you know, steadily re releasing new content. After that, there's definitely going to be a shortage of content. And what's interesting and why all of us in the, in the sales space are so excited right now is back in the day, guys, Netflix used to license tons of third-party content. That's how it started. And in recent years, they decided to start producing their own original content. In fact, last year, they spent about 85% of their budget on their own original productions. So we used to have great opportunities. Doug, movies like Chicago Overcoat, 
It got licensed by Netflix and by Hulu. Nowadays, I don't think that movie would have gotten that deal. So a lot of the opportunities that had been created for independent films started drying up. Now, the interesting thing that we're starting to hear now is that Netflix, anticipating that shortage of content, is now looking into short-term licenses of two or three months, and in some cases, non-exclusive, whereas in the past, they required one to two year exclusive licenses. Mm. So a movie like Before the Fire, for example, because people are you know, kind of morbidly curious with some of this pandemic stuff, contagion and the like, you know, a movie like that may have an opportunity to do a two or three month license before pandemic fatigue sets in. Uh, so we're, we're excited about some of the opportunities that are going to be created as a result of the shortage of content. Obviously, it's, it's not good for a number of other reasons. A lot of our friends and colleagues are not working right now. So we would love for them to be working and to yeah. continuously be, you know, creating new content. But, you know, this is the reality that we are dealing with right now. So we're just trying to make lemonade, you know? Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Um, based on what you've seen, what delivery service is being most used right now? Do you think it's Netflix? Do you think it's Hulu? Is it Apple TV? Like, wh which one do you think? Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. Let's name all of them. Quibi. Uh <laughs> HBO Max, CBS. Plus, yeah. uh, which one haven't we named? ESPN Plus, ESPN Plus, Cinemax. <laughs> so, I mean, they're, they're all they're all getting a big bump, and you know the interesting thing is there there are a bunch of streaming platforms that nobody's even heard of that are launching as we speak. You know, John and I just closed deals with a couple of uh, um, niche platforms. Uh, some of them are sort of like urban streaming, trying to encourage more diversity in their uh, in the content and others that may focus on something specifically, whether that's documentaries or short form content. Uh, all of them are, are seeing huge spikes in, in traffic and, and subscriptions because, you know, obviously people are stuck at home with nothing else to do than than stream. And the thing is, you know, for five bucks a month, which is the price point for a lot of these new platforms, People can afford that even if they don't have a job right now. And the amount of entertainment you get for that, it's it's an incredible value. Sure. So Netflix, is they've, they've had a huge spike. They are anticipating that to fall off. Uh, they just uh, talked about this with the shareholders. Um, but, uh, but yeah, all, across the board, they're all seeing huge increases right now with subscriptions. That's interesting. Because um, also ta you talk about like people saying – Folks are taking advantage of a pandemic. Uh, last week, Justin and I talked uh, at length about Universal, you know, pictures uh, releasing Trolls, the new, the new Troll movie, uh, on streaming, which caused AMC to get, I think, what's the word, butthurt um, about about the move? Because it, that's right. Yeah, you know. That was... If I'm not mistaken, that was AMC's official response. I think that was the official like audio think. clip from it. Was that's yeah. all? Yeah, I know that was translated that to was that a press conference. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm wondering, you know, with that obviously shaking things up, um, what's 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 kind of your take on the movie theater industry? Do you think it will recover at all? Do you think uh, if it does, will there be new terms set? Because I mean, no one can tell how long this is going to go on, but, you know, I, I mean, my anticipation would be, what, August? And even if that stuff does open up, how quickly are people going to run back to the movie theaters? 
What, what What's your take kind of on the movie theater situation? I mean, you can look at other examples, right? Like Wuhan, where they've been open. Most of their businesses have been open for weeks now, but uh, you know, a large percentage of the population is still wary of going out, let alone being in a crowded movie theater or subway or something like that. And I think we're going to see the same here in the U.S. I don't think this is the death of theaters. I think it's definitely going to kill off some of them. Uh, there'll likely be some kind of a bailout. Uh, but, you know, as you guys know, there are certain tentpole experiences that you really have to have in a theater. Another thing, I know we've talked, guys, about the death of the, the uh, medium budget films, those films in the middle. But uh, something people aren't thinking about is actually the low budget films, because there's this popular strategy right now. It's the day and date release where a distributor will take a lower budget movie that can't really compete in theaters, but all it really needs to do is get released in 10 of the top 22 markets, two of which are usually LA and New York. And it's gotta be in there for about a week, okay? This costs tens of thousands of dollars typically. Distributors can be creative with how they spend their money on this, but it's, it's essentially a loss leader because what I was talking about earlier, like how do you stand out in a very overcrowded marketplace? Well, one of those techniques is the day and day release. And for, for folks who may be listening that don't know what that is, essentially that means you're gonna come out in theaters and VOD simultaneously. And what theatrical does is two things. One, it gets you reviews from publications that only review theatrical titles like the New York Times and others. Two, and more importantly, it gets you into those coveted in theaters now categories for that premium VOD price point. And so distributors actually spend money on theatrical knowing they're going to lose money, but it's gonna drive far more sales to VOD. So one of our concerns right now is with what's going on with theaters is what's gonna to happen to the, the little guys when it's all said and done. Everybody's thinking about these big Hollywood movies and the medium budget films, but there's all these other films. I mean, we had one guys that was supposed to come out in the fall and employ this strategy and the distributor called and said guys we have to you know tweak the contract because we don't know if that's possible then or for the next two years so we had to we had to modify the release strategy now it's going to go uh right to digital uh so it, it's it's really complicated uh and and nobody quite knows what's going on uh but we're we're hopeful that theatrical will make a comeback uh, not just for for the Hollywood studio films, but for the little indies too. That's a that's a good perspective because obviously Justin and I were talking about the big, you know, the Marvel movies, the Fast and Furious, <clears throat> and and all those sorts of things, and we were very much on the side of Universal and not yeah. on the side of the theaters for that. Well, one. I think too because most people, w without the insight that you just provided, most people only have the reference point of the Fast and the Furious and Jurassic Parks and Avengers and all the big tentpole movies. They don't ha ever really think about like the day and what is it again? The day, day and date release. Day and date release. They never think about something like that because they've probably never heard that term before. So, I think getting more context like this, I think, is a. a a big uh, for people looking to get educated and really figure out what's going on with the business side. I think it's really important to to look at that aspect. I personally do think that AMC probably could have had a different response still, but uh, <laughs> that being said, <laughs> I'll take back my baby crying sound effect. I won't. I say leave that there for them, man. That guy. Uh, that guy was like 
I, I mean, I respect the strategy. The strategy, it was like, hey, we're going to paint these guys as a bunch of ball-hogging bastards. You know, like, they're just going to sit there and they're going to take advantage of a pandemic to do whatever. And, you know, they, we've had, we've been around for a hundred years and they don't want to do this. So we're banning them and they're just, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I actually kind of, there was an additional article after the fact with Universal's response, which was Universal's like, hey, man, uh... We had we want we basically had a product we needed to sell and we're not saying we're not going to work with theaters in the future but right. we needed to release this now it was in the can it was ready to go and honestly I talked about this last week but it's the perfect avenue for kids like kids movies just straight out of the gate going right home especially right now of course it made over a hundred million dollars like easy because right I, I you know I told Justin like when onward when they said they're going to release that in, you know, on, on basically to buy almost like right away. I was like, I, I pre-ordered it immediately. I was like, good, because I wanted to go to the theater to see it and I couldn't. So I immediately bought it. It was a, it was like, cool. I'm not even going to worry about it. I'm going to buy it. I know it's going to be good. So to have that ability to do that right now, I think for a consumer, it makes sense because right now let's get this stuff out there. Now, I don't think you can ever match the movie theater experience. The movie theater experience is sacred to me. Um, it's very special. But at the same time, um, right now, I'm also like, is now the time to break out of these trends or these these sort of like the mindset that we've had of we go to this place, this physical place to see this thing on the specific date at this particular time, arrange in advance to go and watch this thing? Or is it like, yeah, I can just also watch it from the comfort of my home whenever I want? And, I think there's two th oh. two things to that. Is one, I think now is definitely not the time to break business deals that Fair. may hurt one or both parties down the road. It's like when you're in the middle of an argument and you're like, "Let's stop now before we say something that ne no neither of us can take back." Like, no, you're a I, whore. I, I, <laughs> excuse me. You heard me. Uh, now it's a whole different argument. Now it's a whole different <laughs> argument. Now you've lost your ground. <laughs> But, no, I've reset the ground. I was losing, and now we're back to even. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I obviously think now is not the time to be burning bridges business-wise. But two, I do think now we've seen this, and another thing that we've talked about because we talk a lot is that uh, now is the time to innovate. And we've seen a lot of people really step up and come up with alternative ways to do things. The late-night shows going from home and. You know, all these different. So I, I think that's an opportunity for someone like AMC and Universal to collaborate instead of go against each other and say, all right, well, let's get creative. How can we do this? Maybe AMC, you know, does their own streaming service and that's how digitally it gets released from Universal or so, something like that. I think there's other ways to approach a disagreement like that, especially in the current climate. Yeah, it's, stuff like this tends to lead to innovation. I mean, I'm. I'm not sure if you guys caught the Parks and Rec episode, for example. Yes. Got the cast back together. How cool was that? All Rise just did this as well, where they did a, a uh, COVID-19 episode where I, I don't watch the show, but it's about a judge. And, you know, I'm sure they had the judge and the prosecutor and everybody on, you know, on their Skype call and, and trying to figure out what's going on with the case. There is a Zoom uh, meeting that was only limited to 40 minutes and then the trial <laughs> ended. Essentially, yes. yes. High stakes drama. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's leading to innovation, to your point, Justin. Uh, you're seeing it with the late night shows. You know, it's 
it's been cool to see that and see them incorporating their families. Like some of them have their family members doing camera operation and, you know, helping with makeup and lighting and everything like that. So it's, you you have to adapt, you know, like the, the, this business has weathered a lot of storms over the years, you know, and, and it's always survived, you know, it's, it's been recession proof. Uh, and, and I'm, as you're seeing now, it's pandemic proof too, because, no matter what, people need that escape. Uh, they need that entertainment when when times are tough, and uh, you know you, you you got nothing to look forward to at the end of the day. At least maybe you can have a few laughs and you know get transported away. Yeah, and that's that's the cornerstone of what this industry is. In your kind of professional uh, assessment and what you've seen and what you know about the industry, and Doug, in your very unprofessional assessment, what uh, let's, let's take this, you know, four, five, six, seven months down the road, let's say worst case scenario, you know, we see wave two and maybe wave three, and it, it doesn't really get to the point where we can open up in productions. What do you see happening to the industry? Do we have more reality-based stuff? Do we have people accepting more low budget stuff that shot on an iPhone in and around, uh, an apart, still narrative, but shot more low key down and dirty. Like how do you see the industry adapting in that way? I, I see that happening. Absolutely. I see a combination of things and I see a lot of other projects that are going to hold out because there's a sense of um, urgent. There's a sense that in several months, there's going to be bidding wars going on because there's only so many projects right now that are either completed or in post-production. Sure. You know, we're working on right now for one right now, guys, which is basically done, but it needs a little bit of additional photography. Uh, fortunately, the filmmakers, the main character's house is the director's house. And, you know, so he had a coincidence, you know, grabbed some establishing shots of his own house. And, you know, there's some stuff like that, license some shots from Getty Images and places like that sure. and, and get creative, um, you know, with a couple that are needed with the actors and be very safe and responsible about it. Um, but that movie, you know, that movie's probably going to be finished in three or four months. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and there's a lot of other stories like that where there are movies that are stuck right now, either because they need more photography, they need to do post-production. You know, the, the movie I wrote, Doug, The Miniman, which is now called The Marksman, the, the film was edited. But California determined a bunch of post houses to be non-essential businesses. So the, the production had to come to a halt. So, you know, once those businesses can reopen, then we can move on to color and sound and score and all those things. So there are just a ton of projects out there. I imagine hundreds, if not thousands, that are in these stages of post-production that uh, you know will trickle out over the next several months and likely bridge the gap uh, and, until new productions can start happening. Uh, so, so yeah, what we're excited about in the sales space is going back to the old days where the streamers are actually licensing third-party content. Nice. Well, if, nice. I've got some good news for you here. If you want any low-budget sound design, look no further than the two guys in front of you. We've got everything you need for the marksman, Justin hit him with a couple of. How about that? Hold that. Hold, he's. Oh my God! He just shoots and he dodges. You know, and he I'm trips over saying, a rock. Like, you know, I like. I will haunt your butt. I mean, is that that's, not that's that right? Uh, I mean, is that not the main character just looking at those bad guys? 
right? I mean, you say you get out of here, right? I mean, <laughs> you get out of here, or I'm gonna get you, buddy. I mean, we got it all. Right? Funny That's moments. It. I mean, we're available, Chris. This this can keep going. All right, just you know, you know I'm where to find us, guys. I'm speechless. <laughs> I'm so glad you run this, Justin, because I would either do it way too much or I would miss ample opportunities. So thank you for on the soundboard, buddy. Um, You're welcome. By the way, uh, Ito07 wrote a while back. He said he just watched the trailer for um, Before the Fire. He said, crazy timing. Check it out. It starts off making me think it's an apocalyptic zombie movie, but then it switches to, like, isolation cabin fever. Crazy! We're living that. And then he also just now said, amazing. Oh, wow, it's like I'm really there if I just close my eyes listening to all the sound effects. <laughs> That's called theater of the mind, and That's you're right. welcome. Sound design really is an art, and Justin and I are artists. So That's right. we're here for you, guys. <laughs> So that's really cool, man. So the marksman, I, I think I I read the announcement that it was it was picked up. Did you guys actually film it? Yeah, the movie's been shot. I had the pleasure. Uh, my writing partner Danny and I went to Ohio. Uh, what a dream for him. We you know we were shooting scenes. What, going to Ohio? Twenty minutes away. Well, he grew up in the oh, Cleveland area. Like okay. man, I can't <laughs> mean what? Go to Ohio, Cleveland. I've heard so Ohio. much about it. You know these oh these sports teams. They're legendary. I just I gotta go. We we went to uh, we we spent a couple of weeks in Cleveland, and I was actually staying at uh, my partner Danny's parents' house. Had a blast, and you know some days we'd drive like twenty minutes away from the house he grew up in to set and and there we were shooting this amazing movie uh it, it was quite surreal guys just being on set and and meeting everybody and just watching it all unfold especially since we've been you know the, the idea was first hatched about 10 years ago uh so to see it all coming to fruition and at that level at that scale uh it, it was incredible so uh really excited and and the little boy in the film uh you know he's incredibly gifted uh this kid's gonna be a star i mean i watched him produce tears on set take after take authentic tears uh his dad kind of a big manly man uh you know after one of the takes when his his stepson was crying i looked over at him and, and he was crying and he admitted like he rarely ever cries but what he saw impacted him so much and i'm thinking to myself this is just the on set the raw footage like we don't have the score in there and the sound and you know all the all the things that give you the feels yeah so um uh, you know i'm really excited about the director rob uh is very proud of the edit and uh is is very excited to to get this out there uh interesting with that film originally intended to be a worldwide theatrical release uh so now we're not quite sure what's going on uh, fortunately, because the timeline's been pushed back, we're kind of hoping that maybe when it's finished, uh, you know, people will actually be going to theaters again. If not, we'll have to look into some alternative strategies for that release as well. What I love about that story is, and Chris, you mentioned this earlier, like Chris told me about this y 10 years ago, like when we were working at a hotel together, like he was like, this is, this is something I'm working on. He told me about your, the people you're looking at, hoping to cast I think originally uh, Ed Harris was like your go-to for it, like for this. And I was like, oh shit, that's so cool. And, you know, t 
to hear the announcement that you know this had been picked up i was like hey i know that movie i remember that idea like i i felt tangentially linked to it where i was like yay i have nothing it's to do so with this cool. but it's so cool like just to to know that like i i i had i had some sort of stake in that for some reason i thought that was really cool well you you were a great sounding board and very supportive of <laughs> Batman was I was I though back then I mean even now I'm kind of a dick about it so I mean was I well hey good criticism is invaluable in this business I think really what I was is I was credit in the uh in the crawl at the end it's just gonna be critic (laughs) Doug Cochran kind of critic like invaluable critic we we did a, a table read of an early draft of this script and you know, it was funny. We're all in our, I guess, early 20s at the time, mid-20s. And after the table read, I said, okay, so what do you guys think? And basically everybody said that Act 3 was a big pile of dog shit. And, uh, <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I got work to do. <laughs> it was very humbling. And, you know, we basically threw out an entire act of the script and rewrote it from scratch. And, oh. and the thing is, is like so many people... In entertainment, um, they just they don't give you honest criticism. Um, a lot of John and I call this in Hollywood. It's called the Hollywood no, right? Like nobody nobody likes to say no in case something all of a sudden becomes valuable or a relationship becomes valuable because so many things are transactional. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult to get good, honest feedback. Uh, so after you after you get enough criticism and learn how to handle it, uh, you you welcome it because. Yeah. It's it's just you need it. You know, you get you get lost in your own subjectivity and you just need a fresh set of eyes to, to look at something and point things out that you don't see all the all the blind spots. Yeah, I always look at myself as kind of a, an average dumb, dumb layman. So if you ever want to run something by me, I'll be like, I don't get any of this. Um, this didn't make sense to me. And I always feel dumb. I just I'm like, I don't get it. I'm like, sorry, if this was meant to be something else, I'm an I'm an idiot. Like, uh. Justin's uh, partner, uh, business partner, and also life partner, Drew. Um, he I'm sent not me a, denying it. They sent me over a script, and I read it, and I was like, I remember I, I, I sent a message to Justin. I go, Hey man, I have some I have some questions about this because he called me about something else. I go, Hey, while I have you, I go, What's going on with this? And he's like, I don't know, man. You just you have to give Drew the feedback. Like I felt I didn't want to give him the direct feedback because I'm like, I feel like I'm an idiot and I don't get it. Like I don't, I'm missing something. I ran by him and Justin goes, seriously, dude, it's been a while since I've read this. I don't know. You're just going to have to tell him. I'm like, okay. And I typed it out. I'm like, right. I like this. I don't understand this. I'm sorry. Like basically is what I wrote. Cause I just, I didn't <laughs> understand it. And, um, you know, so if you're ever looking for that, I'll be like, yeah, you want an average moron that, that reads this. I'm a guy. <laughs> Well, that 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 kind of feedback, and I think you gave us some similar feedback for a script a while back. I don't get it. <laughs> Which is great, though. Like, if you don't get, it, I could I consider you to be a, a smart man. Well, thank you. Okay? So if if you're not getting it, then clearly something's not working, and you know it's time to go back to the drawing board. Okay. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> Doug, I think you you did you did it. Hey, you, success. You movied. I movied, I guess, to some degree, <laughs> which is pretty exciting. Um, feel free if you don't want to answer this, you don't have to. But I remember there was a casting announcement that came out with uh, the Marksman uh, as far as who was playing the lead. Is that Was that still the case, or did that end up changing? Yes, he has a very particular set of skills. Yay! That's so cool! Yes. 
Wow. Yeah, Liam, uh, never could I have dreamt that that he would be playing the the lead in this this film. And and you know, Danny, my my writing partner, and I we had the pleasure of you know meeting him and talking to him on set uh, about the, the the material. And he was just such an incredibly gracious man, um, very intelligent, very respectful of the crew. He told us that as an Irishman, you know, he immigrated here. A lot of people don't remember that, but, you know, he's been here for, I don't know, 30 years or so. But he immigrated here. And, and back in the day, the Irish were persecuted. And at one point, it was the Italians. At one point, it was the Chinese. And it just happens to be, you know, people coming from our southern border right now. But all of these groups have, have gone through this. So when Liam read the script, he really connected with the material. Uh, he didn't need to be Mexican to to understand the plight of these characters because his people went through this. Mm. And he talked about that. And it was, it was really inspiring to hear him talk about it and how meaningful it was to him uh, because he cared about the message behind the movie. It wasn't a paycheck. In fact, uh, I probably- In fact, he didn't get one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will, I will say- he sure, he sure did. Uh, but, uh, Make no mistake about it. Yeah, but he was the way in which he structured his deal was um, very unique. I think he's only done it once or twice in his career, uh, which was very special to us because it told us that he cared so much about this movie and telling this story that he was willing to do something he normally doesn't do. Because guys like that, as as the producers told us, you know, when you're an A-lister like that you set the terms, yeah. you know, you, you get paid because they'll, they can actually go in and calculate like how much money actors are worth with foreign sales, pre-sales. It's all very analytical. You can track them based on the performances of their movies over the years. And a guy like Liam with the success of uh, a lot of the action films he's done over the years, you can imagine that puts him in a very small category of highly sought out actors. So you might uh, say I got, he's got a very particular set of skills. That he, he certainly does. <laughs> yeah. And and I think I think a lot of people are going to watch this movie expecting it to be kind of like taken with with the Mexican cartels. And while there are definitely some really badass action scenes and and a lot of danger and suspense, I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised that this is really deep down a a very human story, a very character driven story about two people who who depend upon one another to survive and develop a very unlikely relationship. And it's about an old man who lost his way and finds purpose in life again and a chance at redemption. And it's about a young boy who wants what any young kid wants, a family, a future, a life. And it's it's really, it's, it's quite beautiful. I, I really can't wait for this to come out. I, just hearing you describe it is, I'm so excited a for you and your writing partner and your production, but just the fact that that that's I, that's just that's so cool. I'm so excited for you. That's so cool. Uh, Sir Loin eighty four said, "I just googled the Marksman, and that was also a direct to DV Wesley Snipes movie. So hard one to top. So good luck, you know, um, making that happen. I don't know. Yeah, they, the they the gauntlet has been thrown down. Set the bar high. I don't know. Um, so real quick, I want to ask you, what was that like? Uh, just remember to pay your taxes, Sir Loin 84 ads. <laughs> um, um, what was that like knowing that Liam Neeson read your stuff and not only that, but obviously connected to it and really liked it? Like what, 
What is that like to have someone like that be like, I like your stuff? It's kind of mind blowing, guys. I mean, and, and, and there are some other folks who read it, too, that, you know, um, it was equally mind blowing because you just grew up watching these people in these classic movies and and idolizing them. And then even when you get a pass from someone like that, um, you know, like we were in talks for a while with Kevin Costner about the project. And it's just it, it it's crazy. You're just you wake up every day and you pinch yourself, you know, because even a pass you know that they read it and they considered it and they saw some kind of value. And, and, and all those gatekeepers, the agents and the managers that, that filter uh, this stuff, you know, they saw the value in it and they passed it along to their client and, and then they read it. So it, it's really cool. Yeah. I, I, to this day, I'm, I'm still pinching myself. Uh, my partner, Danny and I are, are talking to a company about uh, doing a, a novel based on the film right now as well. And, wow. You know, we we've kicked around ideas for, uh, you know, sequels if the movie does well. And, and so it's it's been so much fun, so much fun. We're, we're very grateful. Well, I got to say, that's that's a great way to look at it, too, because I'm sure there's a lot of no's outside of Hollywood knows. Right. There's a lot of rejection in that industry in general, whether you're a filmmaker, a writer, uh, you know, an actor, whatever. There's a lot of no's. There's a lot of gatekeepers. And I think that's a great thing to remember is that your stuff got through to the end person that you wanted it to. And they read it. And like you said, even though they passed on it, they actually read it because there was something there. And that is gotta be like one of the coolest things to be like, because at that point you gotta be like, someone will probably get on board with this because you know, it's, it's getting, it's getting read to some degree. So I, I, wow, I can't fathom for even a second for me to create something to then have someone of note be like, Hey, I like this. I'd be like, huh? well, also <laughs> a credit. I mean, it just goes to show you how much you've busted your ass too, to get Without a to doubt. this point. Like, so I mean, all the credit in the world to you and, and all of your partners that you work with. Thanks yeah. guys. Yeah. I mean, the, the stuff you don't read about in those announcements is all the, all, are all the no's you got over the years. And you know, you, you hit a dead end and, and, and your producer tells you, well, guys, we got to do an overhaul of the script. And and there was a lot of that, you know, and just when you think you're about to, you know, get the green light, all of a sudden, right. you know, you get a pass and you're starting to question things or what's going on in the world is a little too close to home politically. And mm-hmm. you got to tone that down. And so it was countless revisions. It was a lot of uh, a lot of rejection. Uh, fortunately, our, our producer, who's also our manager, he believed in this project uh, since early on when when the script was was good, but nowhere near where it needed to be. And yeah. he didn't give up on it. And we we had dinner with him when we were in the, that dream state of Ohio. <laughs> and, uh, oh yeah, good old Ohio. Uh, and he said, you know, he said that it was interesting for him because a lot of his colleagues in Hollywood they work on stuff that that it's easy traction, you know, and it's usually because it's got the right package and the timing's right. And he said, he's one of those guys who, if he likes something, if he has a gut feeling about it and he cares about it, he sticks with it, even if it takes 10 years and two projects, uh, the marksman being one of them for him, uh, took off at about the same time and it was really rewarding for him. Uh, so you, it, it's, it helps to have people like that in, in your corner who are in a position of power and can get the script out there and get it in the right hands and, and who believe in it. Cause it is not, it is not easy, especially for your first time, you know, like it's, 
It's a, it's a difficult road, but I would say to anybody who's trying to pursue that, whether it's screenwriting or or something else, like the lesson learned is if you believe in it and you're willing to put in the time and, and deal with the rejection, don't give up. You know, it may take 10 years. Shit, it may take 20. I heard the Gemini writer, uh, Gemini Man with Will Smith. I think that that story, I think it was a 20 year journey, maybe, if, if I remember that correctly. And by the time it was done, there were a bunch of other writers that did revisions, and it wasn't even really quite the story he had originally written, but it got made with so, Will Smith. So really, Will Smith could have, by the time, he could have played his younger self and then aged as the story went on and then played his older self. <laughs> in the it's a Richard Linklater, like, boyhood, you know, basically. <laughs> just. <laughs> That's amazing. Um if your producer friend uh, is looking for another story, I have one that it's it's a it's a story, it's a tale as old as time, if you will. Um, been told many times, but this one specifically has um, it's it's got its own flavor to it. Um, now I was trying to come up with a name for the story, and I think I think I might call it. The Throwdown. Yeah! Oh, oh yeah. The Throwdown <laughs> now has its own intro. <laughs> We've upgraded so much since you've been here, Chris. <laughs> wow. I'll say, yeah. what production value? <laughs> right? You want to hear it again? Okay. <laughs> the Throwdown. Music. We can do music, too. Actually, we can't. That's Bob Ballmeyer. Congrats to yes. him and the birth of his new daughter. Congratulations, oh, yeah. Bob. <laughs> uh, Lucy Margaret Ballmeyer just joined the world yesterday. Yes. The force is strong with that one. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, today's throwdown, uh, I thought we'd last time, or the first time rather, we did, I think it was, was it, I'm going to go back to my notes. It was Spielberg versus Scorsese. Um, mm -hmm. So we kept it in the film family for you. And I'm going to do the same thing again. This time, we are doing uh, one of my current favorite directors, Taika Waititi, uh, versus Wes Anderson. So these two guys are what? What's this? What's this? How do you envision this happening, Justy? Well, they've both okay. <clears throat> so <laughs> <laughs> they have both. <laughs> they have both uh, They've both come, they've both been invited, little do they know, uh, someone's pulling the strings, they've both been invited to a conference room thinking that they're going to be offered a directing role for a new film. They both walk into the room, the doors lock behind them, and a script is dropped in the center of the table. Interesting. Begin. Interesting. So, it, so it's a fight to the death then? Of course. 100%. Always. Yes. Now, in the room, they can use anything they have in the room. So obviously, there's a whiteboard with dry erase markers. There's a bag of pop chips on the table. <laughs> there's some Fiji water in the corner. <laughs> and uh, some number two pencils, uh, freshly sharpened. Um, I would definitely say Taika, his... I, th I think he's got some real... E207 says Taika now knows the ways of the force. So yeah, you know, Very easy true. win. He also played Hitler. <laughs> Very true. So um, I feel like 
they're both very creative, but Taika's got a very unique creative element to him that I think also has a level of improv. I just I don't know much about Wes Anderson. I'm not necessarily a huge fan of his films, so like I, I kind of nothing like him. Wes Anderson would have had this concept thought out, and he would have had meticulously planned what a fight versus any director would look like, and it would be beautifully framed. He'd go, hold on one he second. Would, he pulls out a notebook, know. and he's like, Taika, right. Taika, Taika, Taika. there we go. Here he is, Taika. Yeah. And he has, you like, know, his, I, his I combos. Suspect, though, I suspect that Wes Anderson, in, in an attempt to be so witty and, and, and artistic, uh, would get so into his head that he'd let his guard down, and his inability to improvise would ultimately be his downfall. Uh, like Doug, I'm not really a Wes Anderson guy. Uh, you know, I, I have enjoyed some of his films, or I should say, parts of his films. Um, but I've had to, I've had some interesting conversations at film school. You know, it's I, it's people. It's very um, it's very interesting with filmmakers like him. Like people tend to either love or hate them. Very uh, yeah, it's very know? dividing. Yeah, yeah, very very dividing. And as opposed to like a Spielberg type where. People are like, yeah, he's a good guy. I like him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sure. But but Wes Anderson, you know, when you talk about certain filmmakers like him and Tarantino and certain movies, you better be ready to brawl at film school because these kids don't fuck around. Maybe I should have put uh, Tarantino in there because he's more of an auteur than, uh, than I think Taika is at this point. Oh. Well, I mean, but I think we got to stick. With I was like, let's stick with it because I'm like, my brain's already wandering out oh, there. Yeah, no. But I think, uh, I mean, I, let's just put that Tarantino wins hands down because he, <laughs> he's he's well versed at the art of death. Yeah, I mean, I definitely put that in his in his camp. But, I'd say Taika um, would be very charming too to Wes Anderson. He just seems like yeah. that very quirky, and you know, not that Wes Anderson's films aren't that way, but I feel like Taika in general is just that, like. I watched. Uh, I found a TED talk with him talking in 2015 yes. about yes. being creative because I was doing uh, something for work where I was accumulating, uh, curating stuff on creativity. And I'm like, "Hey, Taika Watiti's on here. Maybe I could use this." And it was just such an interesting presentation about what it means to be creative. And he just has this way about him <laughs> that I just think, um, you know. I don't know. He's just just the way he was at the Oscars where he took his award and just sort of like casually shoved it out of the seat just in front of him. It, yeah. And like Well also Jared, who is from Australia, says Taika comes from the southern hemisphere. We know how to fight down here. Yeah, I mean you guys gotta fight for your life every day when you go outside and you know, you have the right. swarms of animals, you know, just ready to get you. So, you know On the island of death. E207 says, I love the visual of Taika and his favorite Hawaiian short sleeve shirt and his choking Wes Anderson in his stupid salmon tie. So, so what I'm hearing then is that it's Taika Watiti for the win? I mean, that's what I'm yeah. voting for. Taika Watiti for the win! <laughs> and that's all she wrote, folks. You know what that sounds like to me? For for any of you Halo geeks out there, you can you can change the settings so that when you shoot the grunts in the head, they make that sound <laughs> and their heads explode like confetti, like in Kingsman. It's an amazing thing. Oh my Emma god! And I do it all the time. That's amazing. <laughs> it, re it rewards you for the headshots. That's awesome! Yay! Way to go! <laughs> 
that awesome. is amazing uh this has been so much fun chris thank you so much for coming by uh we take this time of the show to sort of like give you the opportunity to promote anything you got going on or and or if you have anything you'd recommend for people to watch to listen to to read the floor is open sir promote what you'd like recommend what you'd like you got it guys well for binge watching i'm gonna go ahead and recommend the expanse on amazon Fans of sci-fi and space adventure are going to love this. Uh, unlike other shows and movies that deal with this topic matter, it gets extreme, especially when Amazon picked up the series. You want to see some badass zero-G fights with blood floating around? Check out The Expanse. Very intelligent uh, show. Very entertaining. I believe they have four seasons available to binge. Uh, and, uh, and a shameless plug here, uh, Throughline has a movie coming out next week called The Voices, not to be confused with the Ryan Reynolds movie by the same title uh, that came out a few years back. But this is a psychological thriller featuring Lynn Shay from the Insidious and Grudge franchises uh, about uh, a young lady who goes to write her thesis and spends some time with her sister who has uh, schizophrenia. And uh, they go out to this remote family cabin. Some weird shit starts going down. Uh, our, our protagonist isn't quite sure if it's happening or not, and very quickly things spiral out of control. has a very shocking ending. Uh, it's a very cool little indie movie that was done with uh, limited cast and location, but with a lot of integrity. It's being released by Cinedime on May 12th. Uh, it's called The Voices. It's going to be out on Amazon, Apple TV, all the major VOD platforms. Definitely worth a watch. Nice. Fantastic. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Justin, or uh, Chris, you got any, do you want, if you choose to, any, any way people can follow you on social medias? Or are you not? Or through line? Can people follow through line anywhere? Yes. <laughs> One of those like, old curmudgeon y, you know, guys. Nothing in wrong my with generation. that. I do have Facebook, but I don't really go on that often, as you know, Doug. I don't have the Twitter <laughs> or the Instagram. Uh, but yeah, you can follow Throughline Films on Facebook and Twitter. We uh, we post a lot about the movies we represent and, and the filmmakers we support. So definitely check that out. Awesome, very cool, Justin. What do you got this week? Um, nothing too to well, you know, yeah. Uh, Community is back out on uh, Netflix. They dropped all six seasons back on Netflix, and uh, Dan Harmon I think is a really talented storyteller. Um, he packs a, a a metric fuck ton, and that is an industry term, a metric fuck ton into a half hour. So uh, for those uh, who are more familiar with Rick and Morty, if you haven't gone back and looked at his earlier stuff, go check that out. Um, I, I really do think he is, is from a comedy standpoint, really talented uh, storyteller. So um, community out there. And then I'm going to attempt to watch Midsummer uh, oh. this week. I've heard I somehow I don't know if it's because people are just watching more stuff now, but in the last two or three weeks, I've had four different people independently tell me that they either watched it or tried to get through it, and it was too intense. And so I'm like, okay, challenge I'm accepted. To give it a shot, yeah. Um, Beth has already bowed out. She will not be watching it with me. So I'm gonna have to take this on myself. Um, I will let you know how it goes, though. Um, and then also. Um, I want to shout out to slash short script contest. We're still running our, uh, 
short script contests, two different tiers. Uh, we'll give script feedback, and then uh, we'll pick uh, up to five of the top scripts that we get submitted, and uh, we will help actually push those into production. So check that out, twoweesteighth.com slash short script contest. Doug, what do you got? Uh, I'm going to recommend the same thing I did last week, which is the album Afterburner by Dance Gavin Dance. I cannot say enough about this album. It is so great. It's got me through a lot of design time when I'm doing some graphics and stuff like that. I throw in those earbuds and I'm lost. It's amazing. It's such a great, great album. Go check it out now wherever you buy your music. And also, I'll do it again. Guys, follow us on Twitch. Drop us a follow. We're dangerously close to becoming affiliates. Every fall would be helpful. Close. Dangerously close. And uh, we also stream, obviously, the recording of our podcast episodes. And also, we do our live video game streams every Saturday night, 8 p.m. Central Time. Come hang out with us. This Saturday, we're going to be doing Jackbox games. So that means silly trivia and some other crazy stuff in that game that we can play. So come hang out with us on those as well. So on top of that... Don't forget to follow us on all of our social medias at MindGap Podcast. And also check out our YouTube channel. We post highlights from the show. We post our full episodes. We post highlights from the live streams. I uh, actually just recently posted the uh, one of the level runs I did with my brother when we uh, played Warhammer Vermintide 2. So go check that out. It was really fun. All our social medias at MindGap Podcast. Justin, where can people find you, sir? On Instagram and Twitter, it's at Justin underscore Michael, spelled M-I-K-E-L. It's the fun way of spelling it. And while you're in the online realm, check us out on Apple Podcast, on Stitcher, on Spotify, and on Google Podcast, wherever you find and consume the podcast. Remember to also share us around, like us, rate us, review us, all those things. But again, the sharing is the big one. Just copy the link, post it to your social media, and say, hey, check these dum-dums out. I think you'll enjoy them. That goes a long way for us. And um, twoeastaith.com slash mindgap. And then again, just keep an eye on all twoeastaith stuff because um, we're trying to figure out how to stay creative in the quarantine. So that's what we got. Hell yeah. Chris Charles, thank you again, sir. You, It's always a pleasure. So happy for you. I'm so happy for Throughline Films. And thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with us today. Oh, my pleasure, guys. It's been a blast. And maybe we'll do it again. We'll have a three-peat. Oh, I like yeah! this. So that I'm, being I'm said, I'm watching the Bulls documentary. That makes sense now. I get sports. Now we get it. Yeah. You understand sports finally. Uh, Justin, <laughs> thank you. Douglas, thank you. Twitch, thank you. Listeners, thank you. And you all have a dandy fucking week. Woo! Mind Gap Podcast.